Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. You're listening to The Leaf Report. With Canadian Press National Hockey writer Jonas Siegel and the Athletic TO's James Myrtle. Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. James, uh, it is almost Christmas. Austin Matthews is a dominant center. It's happened. Um, you and I have both written extensively about Matthews, so let's start there. Which part of this do you want to start with? Do you want to start with what you've written about, you know, in terms of some of the numbers, in terms of goals? I've also written about that. You had a really good piece today is Wednesday on... Uh, how much he's shooting the puck and how many shots he's getting off and, and how effective he's been that way. Maybe let's start there. That's what you wrote about today. Um, I think he's top five in the league in shots. If he's not top five, he's sixth. Are you surprised by any aspect of that based on all the research that you did about Matthews before the draft? Uh, maybe just a little bit that he's so high in the league rankings. I remember when Mark Crawford said that to me. I didn't know Matthew super well. I basically had three weeks before the draft to work on one story on Matthews and call everyone that knew him and find out as much as I could. And the more and more people I talked to, the more my brain started to kind of explode based on what people were saying. Because basically this kid from Arizona, I thought he was going to be like, I was kind of thinking he was going to be like an Eichel or something. That he was going to be like, like Eichel's good. He's a good player. He's going to be Buffalo's best player. But the more and more I talked to people, they were talking about Matthews like he was like, the next like I don't know who like Mario Lemieux or something like they were talking about him like he was like the best hockey player they had ever seen and that he was getting exponentially better year after year after year so the more I worked on the story and the more I like found out about how weird his development path was and the more I talked to his dad like his dad is so interesting in the way that like he understood elite athletics I think a little bit because he played college baseball and was a pitcher and he just seemed to have like a different gear than most parents in terms of like understanding how to how to what's the right way to do to do development and stuff like that like it seems like he had a whole bunch of advantages that 
that worked against the one disadvantage that he had. I think I'm off on a tangent here, but anyway, so like, yeah, so I talked to all these people, but the one person I talked to that explained the shooting was Mark Crawford, who went on and on and on. I talked to him. He was driving home. He had been doing interviews for coaching jobs like all over the place. So he was driving home from somewhere in the U.S. I don't know. I don't know where Detroit or Buffalo or who knows what. So he had a lot of time. He actually got pulled over and a cop was going to give him a $400 ticket for holding his phone because he didn't have like Bluetooth or whatever. So he was holding his phone. And uh, at one point, our conversation got stopped because the cop had pulled him over and the cop recognized him and was asking him a whole bunch of, I think he was near Windsor or something. So maybe it was the Red Wings that he was talking to. He didn't, he didn't say, but, um, and the cop didn't give him a ticket because he recognized it was Mark Crawford and asked him all these Red Wings questions and all this. Anyway, that's an aside. But so we had this great like two hour conversation with him driving, holding his phone while he's on the highway because Mark Crawford's like the nicest guy in the world. And um, Crawford went on and on about the shooting like over and over and over again. And like I knew he had a ton of goals in Switzerland and I knew he was he was going to be he wasn't just a pure passer. But the way that Crawford talked about him was like. He talked about him. He compared him to Joe Sackick, which that kind of blew my mind. It was like, okay, this is getting kind of crazy. Then he said he was better than Anze Kopitar when I had them at the same age. I was like, okay, that kind of blew my mind. Then he said his idol is Jonathan Taves, and he thinks he can be like Jonathan Taves. And I was like, okay, this guy coached in the NHL a long time. He's not just like making stuff up. Like you know, some he's not. This isn't like hot takes and whatever. This is like, and he just raved and raved about Matthew's personality and his family and. You just it really made me realize how special of a player the Leafs were likely getting. And so when we came into the season and there wasn't this like massive hype machine around him in Toronto, I was kind of thinking that people were going to be taken by surprise with how good he is. And one of the things, the shooting really stood out because Crawford said specifically he is going to lead rookies in shots on goal. Like he said that, on, like there's no doubt in his mind that that was going to happen. Well, I think what's interesting about his year, so many parts about it, obviously, um, but I think you typically think of centers as being passers, and he is like this shoot-first center all the time. And you look at all the ways that he scored. Like You touch on the number of shots. He had eight career high against Anaheim. But he just scores in like so many different crazy ways. Like that goal he scored against the Ducks where he's got one hand on the stick, Like you don't even need to describe it. Like It speaks for itself. But the, the thing that, that's interesting to me is um, – I'm not sure it's understood just how impressive it is at this age to be doing what he's done. Like, he's on pace for 40 goals. He's on pace to break the Leafs' rookie records for points, goals. Uh, You touched on it in a piece at one point a couple weeks ago that he's on, like, the Crosby rookie season pace, you know, in terms of scoring goals. Higher. Higher, right. Well, Well, but Crosby was 18. He's 19. Whatever. It's still... I think it was way higher. I don't have right. <laughs> but but I guess the point is, um, you mentioned this. We were watching the first game together of the year, uh, and I remember this. You said, like, he might be not McDavid, but but sort of chasing in that conversation, like closer to that than maybe people think. What do you think was missed that maybe has allowed maybe the hype not to be maybe what it should have been? Like, he was playing, he wasn't even on a midget team when he was, like, 15. He didn't even play, like, on a competitive team. He kind of, like, went to a bunch of tournaments, and he was, like, a vagabond hockey player. And, like, what they said, talking to Don Granato at the National Development Team program was super, super interesting. That was the other, like, two-hour-long conversation I had, and it was... The interesting, all these people wanted to talk about Austin as much as possible because he kind of like blew their minds like years before they, he's come to blow our minds. 
And he said at the National Development Team program, he was so raw, Matthews was so raw, because he hadn't really played super elite hockey. And that as soon as they plugged him into the National Development Team program against the best players in the whole country, that he just took off and he got so much better. And they could see him getting better like every week, week after week. Like I kind of wonder... I want to do a piece on this later this week. I kind of wonder if now he's getting plugged into an even higher level and he's going to continue to get better. Like Babcock said that he's seen a huge progression. You talk to all the guys on the team. They say they've seen a huge progression in Matthews already in 31 games. What What is it, two months into the season? And just in terms of learning the defensive aspects of the game, and I know Babcock's been doing... Or, or whoever, Andrew Brewer, or whoever with the Leafs has been doing video work with him and showing him video of Crosby and, and, and Taves, I think, where the guy, uh, Datsuk or Zetterberg. Okay, showing him video of Crosby and Zetterberg in terms of how he plays in the defensive zone. My impression is, based on talking to Don Granato with the National Development Team program, is that Matthews w- wants to learn that stuff. He's going to be able to learn it. He's very smart. He wants to. He wants to dominate. He wants to be... Everyone says that Matthews wants to be the best hockey player that there is. Like, he doesn't have... There's no kind of limit to his ambition, kind of. Well, and I got into this um, with him the other day, just in terms of, like, how they've been using him lately, which I think is really interesting. And you kind of tipped me off to start thinking about this a couple weeks ago when they started using him, I think, against DeShane, against Colorado. Uh, And then we saw him go up against Malkin... uh, when Pittsburgh was in Toronto, and then it was Getzlaff when the Ducks were here. Um, just in terms of he had this, he had this attitude and this approach that I feel like I can play against anybody. And you don't usually hear like hockey players are notoriously humble. Like I'll play against whoever the coach wants me to play. And he's saying 31 games in his career, I'm ready to play against anyone. And and Babcock kind of wouldn't go that far, but he said, you know, he's seen like you mentioned tremendous progression. When you mention like Taves and Kopitar, it's interesting when you start to think of like what he can be and who he can be. I think he's a better goal scorer right now than Taves, and probably than Taves. Like Taves is a thirty goal guy basically every year. He's struggling actually right now. I think he's faster than Kopitar. He's more explosive. What do you think? Like who should people look at and say that's what he can become, or do we know? Like crazy top end. Like I, I don't think there's ever. I've been trying to get people to compare him to someone and I don't like we're trying to put him in like a box. I don't think that there is anyone that's ever been 6'3", 220 that can handle the puck the way he does and play around the net. He's almost he's like playing the sport a different way than I think I've seen someone. It's funny on Twitter. I'm getting blowback from fans in other markets who I don't think are watching him very closely. I think Leafs fans are on board with what's going on, but fans in other markets are on Twitter are kind of like saying, Oh, why, what you, you know, why uh, you're being a homer, you're being a fanboy, and like saying all this stuff is like, like, I actually think that like he could be one of the best players in franchise history. Like just, I mean, we don't want to go too far because maybe he's going to hit a lull and maybe he's just having like a really amazing 15 games, but there's all these arrows pointing in a direction that you've covered the Leafs a long time. I've covered them a little over eight years like, we've never had anything like this. We've never been anything even close to a player like this. And McDavid's a different player. McDavid has a gear to his skating and to kind of like his, um, 
I don't know what you his like uh, anticipation or something like he he can see things on the he's like more like Gretzky or something with like like he can kind of see all the whole ice and like knows what's going on everywhere and like and he's so much so more dynamic I think but I think I'm trying to think of the way to put this like I think right now the very safe assumption is that McDavid is going to be the best player in the league for a long long time but for like a thinking hockey fan that can appreciate some of the more the more subtle I think plays that great players can do well Matthews has a lot of that like JVR when I was talking to him the thing I really like that he talked about is like he said that that Matthews uses his stick like a fishing rod I think is the the term he used and and it's kind of like a magnet it's like stuck to his stick like when you the way he plays with the puck and People can't see because we're on the radio, but I'm like doing things with my hands. But it's kind of like the puck is stuck to his stick. And sometimes he loses it and it looks bad. Like sometimes it dribbles away from him, but a lot of the times it doesn't. And a lot of times the other the other players don't know what's going on. Like they he he's catching a lot of them off guard. I don't know, like you're asking what he can be. I I don't know. I, I think he's gonna be something new. It's like I think it's like when when Mario or like Lindros came into the league and they were just something different and we had never seen it before, and it's like like um, when when Lindros went into the Hall of Fame, there was a video that package they put together for his like party, and I saw it. They they played it at Puck Talks. Uh, it was by that uh, Tim Thompson, I think is his name, the Boundless guy. He did this this uh, highlight package of Lindros, and just watching all of the top highlights of Lindros's career, it's like holy cow! Like he looked like an alien on the ice. Like he was so much bigger. And he was also the fastest guy and his hands were crazy. He was scoring with like one hand, like he was like pushing the defenseman out of the way and then like roofing it with one hand with, with his stick. I mean, Matthews isn't like that, but it's like kind of might be like kind of the same thing. He's like doing something different. And for the way hockey is played now where it's like so tight and it's so hard checking that maybe he's the kind of evolution of what we're going to see players become. Well, because I I think Babcock's talked about it a lot in, in the way it is now with how little space there is guys who can handle the puck like that and who are that big and that strong and that fast like it's just an advantage and like you and I earlier this year we were talking about Neilander and Matthews playing together and how it kind of re- sort of reminded us maybe a little bit of Sundin and McGilney I don't think it's like a crazy stretch to put him in like that Sundin conversation but he's like a totally different player you're right he's like something we haven't seen before I wrote about it today just in terms of how they're starting to use him do you think it's now that they should start matching him up against top lines or do you think it's something that they should just take their time and use him maybe more against second lines which we've seen them do occasionally I think it helps them not using the Bozak line against one of a an opposing team's top two units but do you think it's time right now that they every night just say you have the top line or do you think it's smart to give Kadri that line because I think it helps him to some degree to have kind of that assignment or do you just think it makes sense in the context of the team to say you know what Matthews is our best center right now let's use him against top lines I think he's the best equipped to handle that assignment it's tough because there's a whole bunch of different things that go into that who is he playing with how what line are you building like you got to take Nylander off that line if you're going against the best players in the world. You can't have Nylander on the ice against Crosby for like, you know, 14 minutes a night or whatever. And the other thing too that I would think about, and I know it's a ways off, but I mean, 
if you shelter Matthews the way they have over the way they did through whatever 15 or 20 games to start the season, he's probably just going to destroy the league. Like if you keep giving him offensive zone starts and play him with Nylander and like shelter him against, you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if he continues. Like I was thinking about this when I was writing the story about the shot generation. Well, what if he falls off on the shot generation? Like what if they, they give him harder minutes and he's not able to maintain this and then the story will look really stupid and whatever. But I don't, I don't know. I Sorry to interrupt, but like go back to that game against Anaheim, and that's why I think it's so fascinating. Like you look at the way he was used; he had the lowest offensive zone starts on the team, and he was at fifty-four percent, I think, possession. Like that just shows. Like that's why it was an indication to me. He goes up against Malkin; he's at almost sixty percent. He goes up against Getzlaff; he's at almost sixty percent. Doesn't that show you that maybe he's ready right now to do it? I think he is ready. I just then you got to build the line a bit differently and. Like, it's pretty amazing he's on pace for 40 goals playing with Hyman and Brown a lot of the year. Like, that's like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's... Well, let me get into that because I, I, I'm i sort of frustrated by this topic because I think it's typical overthinking, to me at least, this, like, who should he play with? Is it working? Is it not? Like, he's on pace for 40 goals. Like, I think it's working. And the other thing you have to remember is, a, there's no perfect players on any of these teams. Like, you're not building an all-star team where you can just plug players in. You have to have other lines, and you have to have other lines that are threats. And I thought Babcock made it a good point the other day when he said, you know, I don't want to play Marner's and Matthews, Marner and Matthews together because Marner can drive his own line. Like he, And that gives them a really good threat on a second line. I think it makes sense. It's just like when you're trying to put together all these puzzle pieces, you need to figure out what's the best lineup, what not what's the best line and I sort of get his thinking with Hyman and I sort of regret using what's happening we have news the Leafs have recalled Byron Fraze Ben Smith has been put on injured reserve now this doesn't surprise me because they can use Fraze on face-offs and on penalty killing better than the goat here I'm going to tweet this so you can talk for a bit okay well we know Actually, a couple of us were talking about Byron Fraze the other day and speculating that maybe he would come up because of the way the game ended against Anaheim, where they had to use Frederick Goche on a shorthanded draw with the game on the line against Ryan Kessler. He lost it cleanly. They lost the game. We know Mike Babcock likes Byron Fraze. He's had a pretty good year, I believe, with the Marlies. So this makes sense. He'll just fill in for Goche, I would imagine, on that fourth line. He will be Ben Smith. I think he's Probably, I don't know, he's in the same ballpark as Ben Smith. But anyway, uh, what were we talking about? We were talking about Matthews and the way that they were... Oh, and who he was playing with. Sorry, you distracted me. I sort of get Babcock's logic in terms of putting players around skill guys who get the puck and don't need the puck. Do you agree with that logic or not? Yeah, I, I do. I mean... I wonder if they go a little bit too far when it's Brown and Hyman. I mean, it's like maybe he only needs one of those guys. But but Babcock kind of shut down the line of questioning pretty fast when he said Marner drives his own line because he's like he he said something like 
it's not about getting Matthews the most points we can possibly get him. It's about the Leafs winning games. It's about like us diversifying. This isn't what he said. This is how I took it. It's about us diversifying our lineup a little bit and giving teams different looks and making us hard to match up against and not just throwing all of our best rookies on one line. And then if that line gets shut down, we're, we're screwed, which is the way the Leafs used to be when they had Kessel and Bozak and JVR. And that was the only offense they had. Well, and so like play around with it, like if which he I'm sure has done. He with a whiteboard, you play around with different combinations. Okay, so let's say you want to create a different line. Okay, so you, you let's say people don't like Hyman on that line. I think I actually think he's been a lot better the last little while, and I think he fits. And he's obviously the one guy who's played with Matthews the whole year. But let's say you want to take him off. Okay, so your left wing options, you could put Komarov there. Doesn't make sense. Same thing. You could put Van Riemsdyk there, but. I don't know if that makes sense. He's a shooter too. Uh, so then where are you going? Okay, so let's say Hyman stays there because we think that works. Then you look at the right side. We've ruled off Marner because you want to have a different threat on a different line. They've tried Neander, and that's worked at certain points. It works less in some situations because he's not very good defensively. Who else is there? There's Brown. There's Soshnikov. Like, I, it To me, the way it's been put together... I don't know. It makes the most sense. The, the thing with Neander is is the problem you presented. How do you figure him out when he's what he is defensively? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, does that make sense to you? So, so you saw I did that post. I think it was a week ago or ten days ago, and I went into it and I was like, okay, I'm going to look at the line combinations. I've established the Leafs have the most set third lines. They've used the same lines more than any other team in the league. They pretty much use the same lines other than flipping Brown and Nylander and Sashnikov around a little bit on the right wing. They've used the same lines like all year. Um, so I went into it and I was like, okay, let's let's fix this. Everyone's compl- I was going to say bitch. Everyone's complaining about what the lines are. Let I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in, use some analytics, figure out what the line should be, look at a bunch of combinations. And I came out at the bottom of it and I was like, they should probably just be doing what they're doing. Like Mike Babcock, we're overthink, overthinking it. Like I think people are frustrated with some of Babcock's lineup decisions. Like, and I and I agree in terms of not giving Corrado a chance and not playing Marincin and Carrick more than Polak, who has not had a very good year. And I agree that they should have played Griffith or Holland more than Ben Smith. But in terms of what he's doing with his big guys, it makes sense. Like, I mean, you talk about the left wing people. I saw a lot of people on Twitter were saying to me, let's play JVR and Nylander with Matthews. And it's like, okay, well, then you have to shelter that line. Then you've got your best center, your best center at matching up against other teams. And you're going to have to shelter it hard because you've got two weak defensive wingers on. Like, it's just, it's not, it's, it, it's, that's a, like, essentially Matthews is going to play with the best players on the power play. And he started to look much more dangerous on the power play, and he started to get. He's really working that kind of like uh, slot, kind of down low position really well, and he's going to get a lot of points there that we haven't that are just starting to come now. But at even strength, it's more about winning the possession battle. It's about not being good defensively, not getting beat. There's a lot more different things that go into it instead of just taking a bunch of creating a super line. Well, and I think logically, like it makes sense. You can't put three guys who all need the puck together like it doesn't work like we saw and obviously Phil Kessel's been unreal production wise this year but like we saw there was this expectation when he went to Pittsburgh okay you'll play with Crosby I'll score 40 goals and it wasn't like thinking how the pieces were actually going to work like Phil Kessel needs the puck and it didn't work right and it's worked better this year he's played more with Malkin what 
it reminds me of the whole conversation, remember, around Grabowski and Kessel and how they should play together. And then I remember you talked to Grabowski about it. Krasbowski. Yeah. Anyway, like this is it's, it's a really good conversation. I, we don't have a lot of time and I want to get to one other thing. Uh, it was a big story on your website, The Athletic. Uh, Frankie Corrado voiced his displeasure to David Alter uh, about not playing. He's played once all year. Doesn't look like he's going to get in anytime soon unless like a rash of injuries happen. I've changed my thinking on this a little bit. I put this more on management now than I did before because the coach is entitled rightly or wrongly to play whoever he wants. It was clear last year he is not a fan. And if that's the case, and it's been now three, two months, I guess, I think it's on them to do something. Do you agree or disagree? The whole thing's so stupid at this point. Like, it's just, it makes no sense at all. Like, just let the guy get on with his life and go play. Like, he's, he, I don't even know if he's an NHL player, but, like, he deserves a chance to, like, see if he is or not and, like, play somewhere. Like, maybe he can go play for the Coyotes or, you know, some team that's desperate for a defenseman or that has injuries or whatever. Like, or let him play in the Marlies and maybe get better and play hockey. Like, it's, it's like they're going through this, this mind bleep thing with him for no, like, what purpose does this serve other than to, alienate other players who might not ever want to come there again like why why treat a guy like this like it's only going to do damage to the organization there's no this is going to do there's no benefit to this for the Leafs at all like what what's the benefit like I mean I guess maybe if like Merchant's hurt now if another defenseman gets hurt then Corrado gets in and that was the benefit that he held on to him all this time and then but how good is he going to be he's like barely played but that's why I put it on management because this is their choice. Like, they can choose to put him on waivers, right? Like, it's just, that's a decision they can make. They can go to Mike Babcock and say, you're not playing him. We're going to give, we're going to see if we can get him down to the Marlies. If we can't, tough. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. I think it's almost passing the buck a little bit between the two sides. Mike is basically saying, I don't see any use for him. And management saying, well, we see him as an asset. We don't want to lose him. But he's depreciating as an asset if he's an asset at all what do you think it is with babcock and him because like he played what 37 games or something like that last year and there was nothing that he did that said to me like this guy can't play he looks kind of he's kind of a weird skater like he's kind of stompy or something like he's got weird mechanics to how he gets around the ice but and even in preseason i thought he played well i mean i think he moves the puck pretty well he's got a decent first pass better than I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. And he's, and the thing is like, people are going to think it's like a personality thing. Frank Rado is like the nicest guy in the world. He's like this like humble, quiet, local kid that loves the Leafs. And like, like, I think if they played him only like, if they played him like 30 games a season, he would be okay with it. But like, they're, they're not like, I think he'd be okay with being like the seventh D and not playing that much. They just shouldn't have brought Polak in. Like, this was my concern when they signed Polak and people were saying, oh, he's not going to be a big part. But like, he took the spot to see if a younger guy could play or not. I think part of it with him is he, Babcock likes him on the penalty kill, Polak. And so you, you start to get into like, okay, who's coming out? And so if you take, let's say you leave Polak in because clearly he values that aspect of him on a third pair. Then you're down to Zaitsev or Carrick. So it's going to be Carrick. You're not putting Karat, you don't really want to put Corrado in your top four. You don't really want to put Polak in your top four. Carrick makes sense there. See, like, kind of the... You don't, you don't buy that? Like, I think he wants to keep Polak in. You don't think so? Well, 
I think that's what he's doing. I don't think that's what he should be doing. That's not what I said. I know that that's what he thinks. I mean, obviously that's what he thinks. I mean, they've they've sat Polak at times and a couple of no. He, I mean, he sat out one game this year, right? It was right at the start of the year he sat out. Same thing as last year, and I think he's sat out one game since, and it was like a second half of the back to back. Yeah, but what I would do is I would split them, and whoever plays better in the gets more of the starts in the second half of the year. I mean, what's what? Okay, so the, this the organization's still in a rebuild. What do they gain by playing Polak? What's the point in your... You're saying, who do you use on the penalty kill? Teach Carrick to penalty kill. I'm sure he's done it in all levels of hockey on the way up. He's a strong guy. I know he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's a, everyone tells me that Carrick's one of the strongest guys on the team, even though he's 5'10 and whatever he is. What uh, get uh, put? Use Gardner on the penalty kill. Like get Teach some of these guys some new skills. You know, Use Zaitsev more on the penalty kill. Do something different. Like Just because Polak blocks shots... like. It, is it is it just to like so they finish? How much difference is that going to make on the penalty kill? Having Polak or Corrado on the penalty kill, like it's gonna is it going to be like one point difference in the standings at the end of the year? What's the point? I'm trying to put myself in like the way he's thinking, and this is not what I agree with. But I'm thinking he coaches like to be able to trust guys, right? And he probably feels like he can trust Hunwick and Polak to kill penalties more than whoever Marinchin and. Corrado or whoever I agree with you like there was there was a point uh, a couple games ago I think it I don't remember what game but it was a five on three and it was a full five on three two minute advantage he used Polak the entire time and like Gardner was just sitting there he uses Riley he uses Zaitsev he uses Hunwick he uses Polak I just feel like part of it is a trust thing and he probably thinks he can't trust player x but I agree with you a big picture view kind of needs to be taken and i don't think that's what he's doing if it's like game seven of the playoff first round of the playoffs and you have to win the game and you've got all the analytics or whatever that say that polak and hunwick are great penalty killers and i mean the thing that he's done well is he's dialed polak's minutes way down at even strength he's only playing like what are 12 or 13 minutes a game before early in the year polak was getting like 21 minutes a game it was totally bizarre and he just he doesn't even play the style that the Leafs are trying to play. He does not have a good first pass out of the zone. They're having to rely on other players to break the puck out. I actually think that from watch, I think Hunwick is more is is better. I think Hunwick can be a number six defenseman. But I don't know. Like the fact they got two second round picks for Polak last year is bizarre. We'll get into this next week because we're out of time, but the one thing I think that's really been interesting the last little while is how much more he is using Gardner, Uh, and that's been kind of the other effect of not using Polak as much as he's using Gardner more. Anyway, you and I are going to try to do this weekly. Is that the plan? That's the plan. Okay, and you can find it on the Athletics website, which is cool. First time for that. So check it out. Uh, We'll try to make it around Wednesday, I think is going to be the plan. So listen to us then. Thanks. Merry Christmas, everyone. All my friends are Thanks for tuning in to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.